Hello and welcome back to the Coaches Coffee Club podcast, episode two. Uh, Before I introduce you to today's guest, I would like to say a big thank you to everyone who did take the time to listen to the podcast. Hope you found it informative, useful, or you just had a laugh at Matty Joseph's team selection. Um, Appreciate all the comments and feedback. So if if you keep that going, that's uh, much appreciated. Make sure you subscribe uh, and leave a comment. That'd be brilliant. Before um, we get started, a quick note from our sponsor. Pitch is the Tinder of football. And while you're unlikely to get yourself a date via this innovative platform, you will find a website that challenges the status quo of scouting and talent ID. Pitch gives footballers greater exposure to showcase their talents by scientifically matching them with scouts and coaches. Whichever side of the footballing fence you're on, join today and experience the future of football talent management. Sign up today at www.pitchrmt.com. So today I'm delighted to introduce you to a good friend of mine, I had to get him on the podcast just so we can have a catch-up, um, Mr. Steve Healy, football coach, tutor, father, and all-round nice guy. So, uh, Steve, good to see you, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so, today we're going to have, um, we're just going to have a chat, really. Steve's got a, a coffee. Yeah, it's quite rare, isn't it, yeah. that we uh, catch up nowadays. Um, but first of all, Steve, give us a little whistle-stop tour of your footballing life to date, um, where we met and how we <laughs> how we have blossomed into this friendly relationship we have now. Sure, yeah. Um, so uh, I was on a college programme football scheme um, and my coach at the time turned around and said, actually, you'd probably be a, a better coach than a, than a player. So I kind of, <laughs> I kind of took the hint and... Um, I pursued some coach education courses at the time and I, I decided that I wanted to go to university. So once I finished that, I still wasn't ready to be responsible and settle down for a job. So um, I went to the States. I got up, got up to my level two, went out to the States, uh, did that for a year. Um, obviously a traditional story of uh, failed footballers with dodgy knees. Uh, came back and... Um, yeah, the rest is history. Got a few jobs in, in community uh, programmes, working in elite centres and, and whatnot. And then uh, got a full-time coaching job at North Hans FA, um, where we were overseeing the um, engagement in, in girls' and women's football um, and increasing participation there. And then uh, got a job at Northampton Town um, as the director of the girls' Centre of Excellence programme and overseeing just general participation at the club and that's where my journey with you uh, came <laughs> along. Um, it was over a while ago now, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, my daughter's six now, so yeah, it's a good four years past yeah. that as well that we've um, we've known each other. Um, yeah, so did that a couple of years, uh, then got a job at the FA as a regional youth uh, educator for the East Midlands, so I got to discover... Uh, a lot of motorways and B roads <laughs> going up and down, uh, basically supporting um, grassroots coaches and, and county FAs in delivering um, coach education workshops and engagement for 12 to 16 year olds. Um, I then, whilst that was all going on, I was still doing some bits at Northampton Town and um, got a job at Leicester City in the academy. And yeah, now I'm working in the international academy as well as uh, the academy as well, full time. On top of that, a very understanding wife because I decided to do some tutoring as well. So, yeah, um, she's put up uh, with a lot 
Um, so I'm quite lucky there. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I'd be a single man still. <laughs> I think that's becoming a, a common theme already that that those those uh, gents working in in coaching have better halves who are, are quite understanding or maybe just enjoy time without us in the house that might be what I'm probably going to go with that yeah because um, <laughs> my standard of uh, washing or, or laundry <laughs> skills are, are not as au fait so I think she'd rather have me out of the house than in <laughs> good stuff so um, you, you touched upon it there but your current role um, tell us about the, the sort of I know you do your tutoring as well, but the the two sort of hats you wear at Leicester currently, um, just describe a little bit more if you could about what the international programme is and, and your role in the, the Boys Academy as well. Yeah, so um, the International Academy we is, is a programme that's been set up by the owners, obviously the owners at Leicester City being uh, Thai. They, what they've done is they, they've set up a programme to increase quality or participation um, of talented players back in Thailand to do kind of a two-year educational programme in England to then send them back to Thailand with the hope of them going into professional football clubs um, and increasing the quality and standard um, within Thailand and to give them obviously career opportunities within the professional game. So, uh, yeah, that's been going now for... four, five years, four, five years now. So it's still embryonic. Um, we're still learning as we're going. Yeah, there's not many clubs that I'm aware of since doing this programme that are doing similar, uh, similar programmes. So it's, it's quite exciting um, learning as we're going and trying different things. And I'm sure this is where you can make all your mistakes as well, as obviously make some good beneficial ones. Um, and then obviously uh, I do the, uh, I do part-time kind of, uh, working hours with the under 15s uh, currently at Leicester City so I've worked all through the YDP phase um, from 12s uh, to 16s um, on on occasions so um, but yeah that's where I do my my uh, other work as well to keep me out of the house <laughs> brilliant so the reason the reason why we've got you on the podcast today you not just because you're a good friend and I like to hear what you've got to say about football and, and coaching but um as you just alluded to, you've vast experience across all different levels of the game um, and just going to talk about communication. But before we dig into that, with the, the International Academy that you have, how, are, how is it, how would you go about selecting the boys um, and how, how is, what is the cohort and the, the boys are 16 to 18, is that right? Tell us a bit more about the type of players you've got um, before we dig into... Yeah, so... Um, what what happens over in Thailand is they run a, a national competition where anything between four thousand to eight thousand boys participate with their schools in a competition. Um, we we send over some recruitment and obviously uh, King Power have some scouts which are sent sent over to observe during that time. Uh, what we then do is once the final's been played, we shortlist um, players uh, around about to forty and we invite them to a finals camp. Um, over in Thailand so we then spend a week in Thailand um, putting on numerous types of practices exposing them to type of practices or or environments that they're going to be exposed to if they were to come to England to see how they react and cope Um, we then obviously select that down to a final 10 we select that down to a final 10 where um we invite those those players to, to come over to England for two for two years to study. Um, 
some of those players uh, are already involved with the Thailand national youth setup as well. So it's just making sure we have good relationships and communications with them, so we can keep those boys involved to keep the quality and the standards really, really high. Fantastic! It sounds like a great opportunity for those boys, um, and and I guess do those boys couple that with education as well and yeah definitely so uh, obviously I'm only talking from the footballing side of things but um, what what they what they also get on top of that is those those 10 boys every year will will be put on a um, BTEC and English course over two years for an intense program at a private school fantastic so it is very similar to the life of a of a scholar here in England at any professional club yeah definitely I mean we were talking the other day um in the office with our review meeting, we, we, we said, if anything, it's slightly a little bit better. They're still getting the amount of time on the pitch, on the grass, but they're getting more hours from an educational point of view as well. So they're actually, I would look at it as they're getting a bit of an extra Brucey bonus um, with what they're getting. And obviously from the two cohorts we've just had, um, it's life-changing for them massively. Fantastic. So... Um tedious link now into our topic of communication and, and one of the reasons it sprung to mind for, for our chat today is obviously those boys coming over the year ones um, most of them if not all of them will have limited if any uh, English language skills so give us a give us a, a, a flavour of, of how that impacts your role as the coach not just logistically but on the grass how what are the the difficulties you face with when working with those players who for the first few months or potentially some of them I guess maybe most of their time there don't speak the same language as you so how how's that yeah it's um it was a massive learning curve over the first six months um trying to establish some common communication uh, pathway with the players um biggest thing was was understanding their their culture and understanding their historically how things are, are, are done and knowing them once once we've got that it was me going out of my comfort zone getting some basic common language that that you would do in an academy anyway so at Leicester we've got a common language with certain things that we would um, relate to in terms of football language um, and then it's educating the, those players in, in what that is and what we're looking for and how we want them to do it. Um, we, we would then obviously try and get some Thai translation into that as well. Uh, and then supporting them with understanding what the English word for, for that is. And I guess we're working with, you have staff that work with you, is that yeah. that consistency and clarity in... Yeah, we, we have some, we, so we have some uh, obviously Thai members of staff that are come and support us as well, um, but it's very ad hoc. Uh, but we, we've got a team underneath us we've got a multidisciplinary team um, so we've got a performance analyst sports scientists psychologists so we're very fortunate we know we're very fortunate in what we've got you know we're, we're well equipped in comparison to, to some other clubs that run academies from top to bottom we're, we're very well resourced so it's just about us as staff members utilising that as best as we can but the one of the biggest things that we get kind of put on us as well is they tell us that they want those boys to learn English. It's, it's very easy for us to be accommodating for them and probably very British of us to be as accommodating as possible, but they really want them to learn that additional skill of that language because of what it can give them in life, um, not only just 
in football in terms, but it can set them up for, for other jobs in the future. So it's really important that we try and encourage and nurture that and try and look at different ways where we can support them understanding the language as quickly as possible. Yeah, so, so that ownership on the player to, to maybe do a little more in their own time around learning the vocab that, that you use, and the buzzwords, for example. The thing that makes me always, or reminds me back to my time when I was out in the States, uh, again, where I learned the importance of communication, is I told a young boy to go and tackle, and he looked at me and went, well, you want me to go tackle? Well, I went, yeah, I want you to go tackle that player. And then he proceeded to go and NFL tackle him, <laughs> not <laughs> soccer yeah. tackle him. So it was a it was a very big learning moment for me about the importance of communication and understanding what is appropriate for those players, um, and, and understanding them and how they can interpret that language and and make it meaningful. Yeah, that that's critical isn't it like you said it's okay having words and using words but the most important thing is that the players and everyone involved are clear on the meaning of those words so like you said what does tackle actually mean because to me it means win the ball with your feet to him it was body to body slam um, so yeah that clarity the mum wasn't very happy <laughs> <laughs> in the session I can tell you that <laughs> brilliant so um, you mentioned um, earlier around getting to know the culture and the, indiv- and the player and a little bit more background but how guess two two points to this question how have you done that in your role with the with the, the Thai Academy and how has that helped with your communication or I guess the relationship between coach and player what sort of things have you done to yeah um, I mean the for, for me, as as the program's gone on and, and some of the students have picked up the language quicker than others, it's just having those soft, subtle, soft conversations with those players in between sessions. A lot of people obviously stigmatise coaching with what you do on the grass. My perception and coaching is some of those soft conversations that you're having with those, those players when you're walking to the training pitch or you're walking down or you're on the coach on the way to a game. Those, would you sorry to but would you plan those do you have a do you, um, you would you would have so in our, in our um, planning meeting we would talk about certain players and sometimes we'd identify certain issues and it would just make a conscious mark in our head to, to go I'll make sure I have a conversation with him at training today or on the coach I'll sit down with him we'll, we'll look at an iPad and we'll look through the game and that creates a, just a dialogue then it creates a conversation um and then what I've found in particular with the, with the Thai players is obviously some of them pick up the language quicker than others, but that, that peer-to-peer kind of learning that, that happens within, that, within our environment is massive because then they're relying on other players that can pass on that information. Uh, and then it creates other conversations with other, other players. Um, I, I think one thing that we picked up on is culturally in, in Thailand from what I've experienced so far is... There's that whole analogy, if I'm older than you, I'm wiser than you. So if there's a younger player who's doing something um, right and an older player is doing something incorrect or wrong, they won't necessarily say anything to that player. So that kind of player ownership, player autonomy, holding each other to account doesn't necessarily happen at the younger ages because of how they're educated and brought up. So to try and get them to... to um, instill or 
is quite a challenge because you're talking something that's happened over thousands of years mm -hmm. in, in that country and you're trying to impact in, in something over two. So I think sometimes you have to take a step back as a coach and realise and manage your own expectations about what is achievable and what's realistic and, and what you, you can kind of set yourself, what, what can we achieve over this two years to try and hopefully give them skill sets to, to set them up for the rest of their life and be aware, especially if they've got aspirations of working in Europe um, longer term as well. So it's just um, being really focused with the team and going, right, this is what we can do, this is how we can achieve it. Um, so, yeah, going back back to that, it's, it's, it's about those soft conversations that we've had with players and understanding the culture um, and then appreciating that and then trying to educate them in some of the ways that are hopefully going to equip them and give them the tools to, to survive. Yeah, that's fantastic because something that's been playing on my mind recently is around do I plan for those soft conversations or the things off or away from the grass? And historically, maybe not. That's something I'm definitely thinking of doing going forward is having a plan for on the grass in terms of this is the session, these are the interventions I'll make, et cetera, et cetera. But who am I talking to on the way to the training pitch? Just to make sure that, now listen, a lot of it happens naturally, that's what coaching is, but trying to have some form of a, a planned route in terms of, well, actually this time of the season, I might spend a bit more time off the field with this player or just so that you, you, you don't find yourself, or everyone has, naturally gravitates to, like-minded individuals yeah, or yeah so how can we I've been thinking about how can I understand that appreciate that and work around it or with it so. yeah I mean I'd also and this probably ties into my academy work as well is is sometimes you're not always going to have a perfect relationship with all your players although we all will aspire to try and maybe consciously or subconsciously force ourselves to, to be likeable to all of them the reality of it is, is that they're not not everyone's going to like you. So, um, for one reason or other. So, the biggest thing I've taken from that as well is obviously being being fortunate to to have a big team around me is is making sure that our communication with with our teammate within our staffing team is absolutely spot on because some players will confine in our sports scientist or our physio, for example something that they might not necessarily want me as the coach to, to be aware of. But in terms of is it vital for me to have that information? Yeah, because I know and understand my players and how I can support them best without jeopardising that relationship with that sports scientist and that player. So sometimes it's, it's, um, it's kind of taking that bittersweet, uh, bitter pill of, of uh, going, not everyone's going to like me, accept that, move on and right okay so he's got a good relationship with the physio so let's see what problems he's been having or frustrations and then see how my training sessions or our training sessions are then tailored to support that individual with that little bit of extra information that we have so it's definitely something that we've we've definitely uh, done within the Thai academy and it's stuff that I found uh, appropriate going across into the into the academy as well which is a new skill for me I've learned over the last couple of years and utilising that more and more Fantastic so let's let's just look at when we're on the pitch uh, and you're working with your players I presume when you go back into the new season you'll have a new group of players um, what might the first few sessions look like not specifically in terms of 
the practices you're doing, but what does it look like to you as the coach, given in mind these new players will have limited um, English language? Will there be any specific aids or techniques you'll use when you're on the grass delivering football sessions? Yeah, so uh, what, what we'll do in pre-season, because we're going to get a brand new cohort of 10 players uh, with an existing 10 that we've already got, is is uh, we'll, we'll put on familiar practices that um, our cohort three or generation three uh, group of players have, have experienced or exposed to. Um, so we'll put on basic simple practices we won't try and overcomplicate things in terms of obviously again uh, from a coaching perspective might not necessarily be able to get across your key or some all of your messages so it's just being crystal clear um in going managing your expectations going can i get one or two messages messages into there uh, and if that's all i can get into there then that's fantastic so as long as we're covering it from a multifacet point of view um, and we're getting our physical, we're getting our tech, tactical, we're getting psych and social returns from it, then then we're okay with that because we know things are going to take a little bit longer in terms of the players getting to understand how things are done and what we're asking them to do. Um, what what we what a typical session would look like in pre-season is we'd get them into a classroom at the start, we'd go through either a tactics board so we can show them visually um, with a few of our key common football language so they can start to be exposed to that so we talk about channels we talk about um, triangle of triumph and things like that so um, it's just making sure that that common language and building attacks rotations so they get to start to hear those buzzwords and what they mean to us and all that is accompanied with visuals whether that be touch yeah. board videos etc yeah so we, we've got with our performance analyst we've got um, clips of good practice or what good looks like uh, where we can sit down and review it with the players and show them this is what we're looking for you to try this is what the practice looks like so it's almost stripping down the game so we'll show what it looks like on the pitch and then take that snippet of that I mean Ben Bartlett does that fantastically well on some of his resources that he does where he, he shows you a picture of the 11-a-side game, breaks it down into a small-sided practice, breaks it down into an individual technical. So it's just doing that exact process with those players just on the tactics board. Um, and then it's just making sure we've got that out on the pitch. And then it's being patient with it, being patient because you know that they, they're they not necessarily going to get it straight away. So it's, it's going to look messy, it's going to look disorganised, it's going to be confusing for them. But... Um, it's just making sure that they feel safe and secure, that they, they can try. Uh, and then once they get it, I mean, again, Thai culture, their work ethic is sickening. It's fantastic. It's some of the discipline that they have as well once they're, they're in and around this environment is, is exemplary. And, you know, sometimes I'd probably say I wish the, 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 the UK players would have a little bit more of it as well. But... Um, I suppose they're, they're realising the opportunity that they've got in England um, for two years to be exposed to this kind of stuff that they might not be back in back in Thailand. Yeah, brilliant. So just to summarise, I guess, for, for some of our listeners there around the importance of using the players, for example, you spoke about your, your older group who are familiar with things, leading by example or, or showing the demonstrations and then also having visuals as well as key, clear vocabulary. So um, the players, whether they understand the words or not, they can associate the word with the picture in their head. 
I guess yeah. that's really important. Yeah, just to align in those those key messages. I mean, one one thing that um, a good friend of mine um, pointed me to a book when it, when we talk about clear messages, um, having you know, is the coach absolutely clear on on what he wants to achieve within that session with their athletes? Is um, there's a book by Damien Hughes, The Winning Mindset, where he talks about the story of Sir Alex Ferguson and his team, uh, his coaching staff, and when he was being interviewed or he was interviewing them, he gave, he asked them the question about, you know, what what's the key to being a great coach? And he said, well, he got a tennis ball out and he threw the tennis ball to him. He goes, how easy was that? Oh, it was really easy. And then he gave another two and he goes, well, I had to concentrate a little bit harder, but it was, it, it was okay. And then he goes, what about if I threw you three, four, five? And he goes, that's exactly like your coaching points or your messages. That's when they get lost. So it's picking out and removing your ego or your, your thought process in going, what is the one thing I absolutely want to get into this player that they understand with, with absolute clarity? Um, and then it's understanding the player and what they're capable of taking on board as well. So, yeah, when I read that book and obviously from, from being uh, put forward with that, that book, it, it made it really obvious to me then mm. sometimes managing you know we've all been there as coaches where we plan and we put down everything that we want to cover um, straight away but it's actually going sometimes you've only got an hour session and in reality you've probably only got 30 to 40 minutes of that to get your, your message in so what is that one thing mm. maybe two that you want to get into the players that they understand and then it's making sure you support them with that afterwards so you review it and consolidate that learning yeah that I can tell you listen to the first episode that links into Matty a little bit there Matty spoke around ego and actually it is about those players in front of us it's not about us and again I think I mentioned this last time with yourself you're fortunate you've got the players full time for two years so there isn't a rush it might it might take several weeks to get that one in that one key piece of information over but the main thing is that it it sinks in and it's it's understood and it's remembered rather than just as a coach just sneezing all your information on the players and hoping some of it sticks yeah. because it's like you said that's not effective communication is it um no, it so confuses the players yeah 100 percent. i was going to ask um in your role or as you develop specifically maybe in your role now how important is listening in the communication process? Uh, massive, <laughs> massive, because for me, if we don't, and we probably don't spend enough time as coaches at time doing that because we, we've got something else in our head that we want to get out and or bestow one of our golden nuggets of information that we want to pass on to the next generation. Um, but actually sitting down and, and listening to what the individual is saying or not saying in between, you know, reading in between the lines um, is massive and that kind of reverts back to that subtle conversations that you have when you're walking up to the training session or whilst you're waiting for the sports scientist to start or you're on the coach is asking them questions not just about football but about other things how's their education how's their family how's their friends what interests do they have and you start to pick up little bits of information that you that would make sense to you. So one player that we had that just finished, um, 
he was either really, really happy or he was really, really, really sad. And we just initially went on the assumption that it was, oh, he's just homesick. Um, not until we were sitting on the coach with him, reviewing his game and then just talking about how he's finding his time here. Um, he started talking about how he was really struggling um, to to understand what was being asked of him because he was struggling with the language. Um, and he felt he felt guilty. So he felt guilty because he was really trying, but he just couldn't grasp things. So he was really struggling in school. And had we not had that conversation with him, we wouldn't have got to the bottom of it. We would have just assumed, oh, it was homesickness. But actually, what we were then able to do is have have a dialogue with the school to say that he, he's, he's opened up and he's really, really struggling with his, with his course, his, his educational course. Uh, and then it was just making sure that we had that kind of buddy system with some of the other players that are better speaking English, that, that those players were supporting him uh, in, in areas where he, he, he found really, really difficult. But, um, yeah, had we not done that, it, it, he might have just said he, he, he's not enjoying it and he wants to go home. And, and <clears throat> your diagnosis in your head initially was yeah. incorrect. You could have prescribed the wrong, the wrong course of action Massively, yeah. I mean, we could have just said, yeah, we'll go home for two weeks, go see your family and then come back and everything's fine. But then, you know, three, four weeks later, you'd have been back to square one and we wouldn't have ne not necessarily addressed it or tried to support him in that in that way. And then, you know, the, the outcome of, of that was um, the second year, he was a much more content, happy player because, you know, he knew what was expected of him. He knew... Um, it, and, and he matured himself anyway. Na naturally, obviously, they come in from 16, 16 17, and then they leave, leave at 18. Um, they're they're going to mature mm. with being on their own anyway. But, um, yeah, I, th I, th I do feel that that intervention that we did do massively helped and supported him well, that, um, that, get through that. That's coaching, isn't it? That is coaching. That's yeah. The coach's role is to support the player and develop the player. And had you not done that, you wouldn't have been able to provide the appropriate resources or, or actions to support and develop that player appropriately. So Absolutely. And I mean, as you can see, we're not necessarily even talking about football, no. <laughs> coaching football in, in terms no, of the no. game. It's, it's, it's other stuff. Yeah, that's. Oh, I really appreciate you sharing that one. That's uh, that's excellent. I do find that as coaches, sometimes we, we don't, like you said, listen enough because we for all of our good intentions, I don't think any, there's not many coaches out there don't listen because they're selfish. I think most people in coaching are there to help others, but that enthusiasm sometimes boils over, and that's a great example on the off the pitch, essentially. I think on the pitch as well at times, as I've seen and done myself, I've asked the players a question. It might be around something we're doing in the game or in the practice. I've asked the question, but in my head, I know the answer I want, and the players give an answer, and I'm thinking... That's not what I'm looking for. So, whereas, for example, it might be, what do you do when you threw on goal? And if in my head I'm thinking, square it for an eat, for a tapping or something, but the players go, oh, you take it round the keeper, or I'll lift it over the keeper. And in my head I'm saying, no, that's the wrong answer. When actually they they could be right answers, just different answers to me. So, I guess as a coach, what I'm trying to get at is it's really important that when you ask questions, you're open to being somewhat fragile in the sense I don't know what they're going to say yeah. but I've got to be willing to accept it try and understand it maybe go with it it might be asking how often do we ask the kids well 
what are your thoughts? They give you their thoughts and in our head we go, no, that's wrong. Well, it's valid. They might, they might be, that's what they're feeling. It could be right. But yeah, it, and it's, it's, it's been, like you said, exactly like you said, it's been, it's been brave. I remember working in the academy and we was at St George's Park on, on one of the events and um, we gave a certain amount of ownership to the players and uh, it was a small-sided game and we gave them an opportunity to choose and pick um, formation and style of play. Um, so we gave them an opportunity to, to discuss as, as peers amongst themselves, which they come back with. We, me and the other coach at the time, we, we, we found it really difficult because we could foresee what possibly was going to happen. Um, and and we, um, we gave them our thoughts on where it possibly could, could go wrong, where it could add value. Um, but we gave them that opportunity and we let them play. Um, for me, that, that was doing that kind of exercise. They, they probably, well, I hope they learned a lot from that, that experience by trialling and erroring it. So sometimes, yeah, we as coaches don't give them enough opportunity to come up with an answer and then go and try it because we're, we're too concerned about ourselves and, oh, that might make us look a bit yeah, bad and, yeah. oh, the performance is horrendous and, oh, we got smashed at this yeah. game or this player didn't play well and I needed him to play well. Well, it's, well, no, this is learning, this is development, it's messy, it's horrible. But we, I think sometimes because we feel like as a coaching fraternity we're being judged by others, we've got to make sure we all look pretty and proper and pristine and actually it's, it's not we've got to be comfortable with going do you know what it's going to look horrendous sometimes but as long as we know and we've got um, context and, and rationale as to why we're doing what we're doing and we know the journey that we're hopefully putting them on then then that that adds value to the player yeah brilliant so couple couple of last questions on this before we move on I just wanted to ask how has working in the Thai Academy and working with those international players, how has that impacted you as a coach when working with the the elite boys in the academy system? What what have you learned and taken over that's developed you as a coach? I think it's um, two, two things. I think it's made me prepare more my questioning. So whether that's either in a session or match day interventions. Um, so actually planning the words you will say yeah. and structuring sentences. Yeah, so something yeah. that I did with the under-12s coach last year in particular is, is um, prior to games is we'd actually have a dialogue for 15, 20 minutes before the boys turned up about what questions our pre-match talk was going to be about, what our half-time team talk was going to be about and what our post-match so did, did we you actually, talk about the actual words you would use or just yeah, the general topic yeah so we, we we explored different ways of where we would either um, whether we'd either break them off into smaller groups whether we'd talk as a, as a, as a m massive collective as a whole group and just pull certain individuals out so depending on what the the theme of the week was that we were looking at um, and who that related to or who that was pertinent to um, in in those so those individuals so for example if it was a in possession final third topic that we were working on that week then we would identify the wide players and the strikers so if there was a wide player that we um, 
we needed to, to work on. We would talk to the group, one of us, and then the other one would go and work with individuals. So, um, yeah, th there was some real good stuff there. And what what we what I found, um, or what we did find, sorry, should I say, is the sheer quality and volume of of peer-to-peer -peer interventions uh, and and communication and dialogue um, um, about their learning about their development um, and problem solving like increased throughout the season as the season went on um so it's just yeah i mean that that would be one of them it was planning those questions and then two was actually just just listening yeah. sometimes I've, I've wanted to go in or I've wanted to say something or if I'm working with a different coach and we've gone on for two or three or four minutes is to go actually no I'm not saying anything because the information has been given and I'll pick that's and choose that's the tennis balls thing isn't it yeah pick yeah, and yeah. choose your moments as to when, when to go and give that information so because sometimes we just bombard them and, yeah. and, and it, it's it's a fantastic environment and opportunity, but it's also, I feel, quite challenging as well. If you've got a young boy in there and you've got a sports scientist talking to you, you've got a coach talking to you, you've got a head of coaching talking to you, you've got a physio talking to you, you've got an academy manager talking to you. I mean, I would feel overwhelmed with that, let alone a 12-year-old boy yeah. or a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old boy. So it's the skill of being really cute and accurate and focused in going right who speaks to who and when and what what messages stick and i guess we have to be quick on this one last one how was your coaching you didn't know i was going to ask you this one so i hope it doesn't come to too much of a curveball how was your coaching and with specific talking around communication here how does that impact your role as a father <laughs> um yeah it's um yeah, I've definitely taken some learning from going on and becoming a, a coach and a tutor in, in understanding their development and their journey from a, from a pedagogy kind of point of view. But when it's your own child, sometimes <laughs> they, they know how to push your buttons. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're human. So sometimes you do, you do overreact or you do say the wrong things. But what it's made me really mindful of is the language that I do use around them um, and the impact that that can have long term or, or even short term when you when you start hearing them repeat certain type of language or the how they talk about themselves and this and that that's a reflection on on me so it it makes me very conscious about how we phrase things and you know the aspirations of where you want your kids to be and how you want them to be and how confident you want to be uh, within themselves and and to to have that ability to communicate and have that dialogue with other people as well and understand and listen so that would be that would be something that I've taken from obviously my my day job into my parenting I would I would say yeah definitely well having having met your children mate you're doing a great job so <laughs> yeah just a shame I'll pay you later shame she supports it's all the wife it's all the wife it's not me <laughs> I'm never shame. there it's a shame your eldest supports Liverpool but they can't be, can't be perfect. Oh, she's at MK Dons, <laughs> Leicester and Liverpool. She, yeah, she's not made her mind up yet. So <clears throat> we're coming towards the end. Uh, we know we could chat all day, but we're going to get into our quick fire section. And I must say, you have to be better than Matthew Joseph with regards to your response time. Come on, we both okay. know Matt Joseph. Hopefully I will uh, do you justice So here. there's some rules to this now. Okay, first few questions, I'm giving you a five second limit. This is the views of Steve Healy, the individual, the football fanatic. And by no means any 
any way, shape or form the, the, the views of his employees or anything. So, Steve Healy, in your opinion, who is the best ever Premier League player? Oh, best ever Premier League player. Can I have a few? Go on, just, just give me some answers. Um, I would say Dennis Burkamp. Thierry Henry, as much as I'm hating saying this, you've been the <laughs> Arsenal fan. Um, Steven Gerrard, um, Paul Scholes. So what was it about those players? Why why those players? I mean, Dennis Bergkamp was just ridiculous, wasn't he? I mean, <laughs> how he could control the ball, his movement. I mean, he, he wasn't the quickest player, but he, he was already five yards ahead of you in his head. Um, another one that springs to mind, Zola as well. What a phenomenal player he yeah. was. Um, who in your opinion what's the best ever Premier League team best ever Premier League team um, God you're going to make me name Man United players oh. now aren't you so not, not no as in which so from one season oh, like, yeah so so in, um, obviously it's the Invincibles Arsenal but if you want to differ <laughs> who would you say uh, I would, this Man City side are frightening at the yeah. moment um, what they're about uh, i I, I did admire the Invincibles and the style of football they played and Mourinho's first uh, first season at Chelsea he, he had some unbelievable players and style of football but yeah I mean this Man City side at the moment yeah. they're just on Strength another level depth is ridiculous but I'm quite excited about Liverpool this yeah, year this and is, last year so they're coming up best coach or manager of all time in your opinion best coach or manager of all time in my opinion uh, I'd love I loved Rafa. I loved Rafa Benitez. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly, uh, uh, they look alike. Uh, well, thing, yeah, <laughs> just, uh, hopefully the slimmer version of it, but no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Rafa Benitez for me, like really. Good. I mean, what he did with that Liverpool side when you when you look. I mean, Jimmy Traore can turn around and say he's got a Champions League medal. I mean, you know, fair play to let's Rafa. Hope, let's hope Jimmy doesn't listen. Yeah, hope, hopefully he's not listening. But. So, Fantastic. Last one then. You heard it last week. I'll give you a little bit longer, but not as long as Matty. What would your all-time England 11 be? Go. All-time England 11. Um, Shilton in goal. Um, right back. Uh, let's go Genev. Um, Centre-backs Rio and John Terry. Uh, Left-back's got to be Ashley Cole, hasn't it? It's got to be Ashley Cole. Um, in centre midfield, I'll have more oh, Gerard, Hoddle, and Scholes. Um, up front, got to be Alan Shearer. Um, oh, wide right, Bex. I had a soft spot for Bex. <laughs> yeah, David Beckham and left. God, we always had a problem with the left, didn't we? Let's go, Chris Waddle. Gosh, that's not a bad team. That is. Um... Martin Keyhone's been dropped. But <laughs> no, listen, that's uh, that's uh, that's not a bad team. I mean, you've left a few big hitters out, but again, Gaza doesn't get a call up. But no, that's what <laughs> he's, on my, bench. he's <laughs> on my bench. He's on my bench. said it's all Impact. about the squad, isn't it? Impact up. Yeah. But um, listen, mate, it's we've we've chatted for for not long enough, in my opinion. But I know these right. there's a few of our listeners have probably got other things to be doing. So. Uh, mate just wanted to say a massive thank you for your time no thank uh, you thank you for having me really good insight into into your your role and, and specifically that around communication um, 
Again, massive thanks to, to Soul and the guys at Pitch. Make sure you go and check out their website at www.pitchrmt.com. Steve and I have both seen it. it Fantastic. Is, it is brilliant. So so if you're a scout or a player looking to, to develop and progress in the game, get yourself on there. Last of all, thanks to Mark again for tidying up this conversation and making it sound good so please again subscribe share it get some comments um, follow Steve on Twitter and you can hammer him for his England selection if you want to uh, but again really appreciate all your comments and, and the kind messages you've had I hope it's been worthwhile and uh, see you next time for the next episode of Coach's Coffee Club There was one moment where you didn't be I lost track. Yeah, I lost track. I was like, I'm waffling on. I'll take that one bloody edits. It's like about five. Yeah, Just some tumbleweeds. Um, um, yeah, tumbleweeds. What am I talking about? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs>